Build the business, scale the business, run the business on autopilot, and retire by 40. No biggie. That's a dream for many business owners, but how does it actually happen? What steps or events need to take place to make it a reality? Well, we'll dive into all the steps in today's 263rd episode of the Copywriter Club podcast with Rachel Engome. Rachel is a Pinterest marketer and serial entrepreneur. During this interview, we talk about how to use Pinterest for lead generation, how to pivot your business, and how to get really uncomfortable in your life and business. I'm joined today by my co-host and Think Tank alumni member, Annie Bacher. Annie, thank you so much for co-hosting with me today. Um, Can you just kick it off with just a a quick intro. Um, If anyone hasn't heard your interview on the podcast, which is episode 218. So uh, we can all check out, revisit your interview on the podcast. But can you just provide a quick intro? Who are you, Annie? Who are you? Thanks, Kira. Um, So I'm Annie. I am a B2B SaaS copywriter, and I am obsessed with using copy to help tech companies make the internet a friendlier and more human sounding place. All right. Well, thanks for joining me today. And before we dive in, this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast is sponsored by the Think Tank. Annie, as a former member of the Think Tank, can you share just what type of impact the mastermind had on your business and your life? Oh, where to start? Um, I, well, I I didn't call myself a B2B SaaS copywriter before I joined the Think Tank. Um, I didn't have a lot of focus and I didn't, honestly didn't even know it was possible for me. So since being in the Think Tank for a year, I hit six figures in my business. I started building a team and I've been working with clients I never would have dreamed I could work with, like ConvertKit, Pitch, and some other well-known SaaS companies. All right. Well, thanks, Annie, for sharing that. And let's kick this off and find out where Rachel's journey began. I like to call myself an accidental entrepreneur. So I um, lived in Africa for a while, moved back and got my master's in social work. And when I graduated, I went to the the top program in the country and I couldn't find a job. Um, even with my master's and my husband was starting a brand new business. Uh, we had a brand new baby. We ended up broke on food stamps, negative $400 in our checking account. And I was like, all right, so what are we going to do? Um, got to figure something out. And I was a part of a network marketing company at the time. And I saw other people having success and I was like, if they can do it, I can do it. I got to figure it out. So I failed forward, um, failed a lot. And eventually really understood how to use social media to grow that business back in, you know, 2012, 2013 and, um, created a six figure business within two years. And that was primarily in the beginning using Facebook and Instagram. I had 50,000 followers on Facebook, 20,000 on Instagram. And back then it was so easy to like post and get comments and make sales. Oh, like I would get thousands of comments on some posts. It was awesome. Um, then the logarithm changed and I was like, Oh, got to figure something out. Um, that's kind of like the life of an entrepreneur. You got to pivot, um, and figure something out because nothing is going to last or work forever. So I moved to my blog and Pinterest and I just started creating content, putting stuff up on Pinterest. And I did not have 
an elaborate strategy or anything like that. But I was like, we'll, we'll just kind of see what happens. And I noticed my traffic was increasing. And I was like, where are these people coming from? Is Facebook working again? Um, I looked at my Google Analytics and I had <clears throat> 34,000 people every month coming to that blog from Pinterest. And um, since then, uh, 1.8 million people have been on that blog, which is crazy. And so I, you know, my email list was growing. I had 20,000 subscribers on my email list from Pinterest. And I started teaching my network marketing company, like people on my team and other teams, how I was using Pinterest to grow that business. And, you know, that company restructured again, nothing lasts forever. My income was cut in half. Um, and I was left thinking, okay, like I'm an entrepreneur, but I'm not in control. Um, the company is in control because they made the switch from, you know, DVDs to digital. And I was working harder and harder and harder and still nothing was working. So I was like, I have to do something on my own. So I hired a business coach, um, couldn't afford it, but figured it out. And, um, she helped me see Pinterest was kind of my sweet spot of this is how I can really serve entrepreneurs that are struggling on Facebook and Instagram. They need to generate new leads and sales on autopilot. And I can teach them how to do that. So we launched pin with purpose. That's my program. Um, teaching entrepreneurs how to generate leads through Pinterest. And we've had over 2000 students go through that program and it has been wild to see them, you know, triple their sales in 60 days. And, um, it's been a lot of fun. We've had the freedom. We lived in France for two years. Uh, we lived in Senegal the first six months of this year. My husband is coming back from Senegal today. I'm so excited. Um, and we've been able to take money from this business and then invest into other businesses. So my husband's been in Senegal setting up, um, you know, a chicken coop. We bought land and doing car rentals and all kinds of things with the plan to retire by 40. So that's the story in a nutshell. <laughs> And thank you for joining us for the podcast. That was an awesome episode. You know, that, we have covered, okay, you covered a lot of ground there and, yeah. and we definitely want to come back to, you know, like uh, for sure, Pinterest, you know, all the things that you're doing to retire before 40. But before we do that, I'm curious, what took you to Africa in the first place? Why did, you know, before all of this started, how did you end up there? Good question. So I played volleyball in college um, at the University of Illinois. I was on a fluoride scholarship and it was there that I became a Christian. And um, I was at this, we had all campus worship and I was at worship and it was like this Holy Spirit moment of God being like, you need to go to Africa. And I was like, huh, how is that going to work? I don't know anybody on the continent. I play volleyball. I can't take more than a week off. And it was like all these things kind of fell into place of I met my professor who intimidated the crap out of me. And I never would have gone to talk to her if my grandfather hadn't passed away. And she thought I was a dumb athlete that was lying to get out of taking the midterm. So I had to meet with her and she was like, what do you want to do? You're, you're getting your degree in, you know, sociology. You're never going to get a job. And I told her I wanted to join the Peace Corps. And she's like, oh. I can get you an internship in Africa. And I was like, huh, okay, but I play volleyball. How is that going to work? And at that time, I actually got injured. I um, tore cartilage in my rib cage that never healed. And so I was able to take six months and live in Kenya and it completely transformed my life. Um, I came back, finished college, and then I wanted to go back to Africa and work on my French. And I chose Senegal and that's where I met my husband. Um, took him back to America with me and we've been all over the world since we've been married for 11 years now. Um, I think we've moved like 10 times in the past 11 years. It's been wild. And yeah, so that, that's what took me to Africa in the first place. Let's talk about those lessons from Kenya and the six months, the life-changing six months. What were some specific lessons you learned that 
may show up in your business today. Uh, maybe you go back to those moments and think about it. Put yourself in uncomfortable situations because that's where the growth happens. I was so uncomfortable every single second of every day. I remember one um, instance in particular, like I had just gotten there and I needed to go out into the village and get food. Like I was hungry and I didn't have any food. Um, and as soon as I walked out, I was just so intimidated. I'm like this this white chick from the suburbs of Chicago in the middle of this village in Kenya. And there's like a hundred thousand people there. There's I think white five white people in the entire village. And so like you walk out and everyone just stares at you and I'm like, okay. And then people come up to you. And I was like, I was just so intimidated. And like, I had to learn how to get confidence to actually go out and live, you know? And so I would come in and I'd be praying over Ephesians where it talks about putting on the armor of God. And, you know, as I stepped out, I just get, got more confident to do more things. And so, you know, by the time I left, I had traveled all over Kenya. I think I've been to like every city. I took Matatus, which is like the public transportation to get everywhere. Um, went whitewater rafting down the Nile, went to Lamu, spent a week there, um, which is an island off the coast of Kenya and Somalia, went to Morocco, jumped off a mountain, um, went to Egypt, climbed Mount Sinai at sunrise, went scuba diving in the Red Sea, just like these things that were on my bucket list. And I got over so many of those fears. And so when it came to business, I always think about like, what's the thing that kind of scares me and how can I lean into that and how can I pursue that? And so public speaking was one of the things that really <laughs> made me uncomfortable. And so I was like, okay, I got to sign up for Toastmasters. I'm going to become a fitness instructor. So I like have to put myself in that situation. Um, I have to, you know, go live, create YouTube videos, do a webinar. Those are all the things that back in the day made me uncomfortable. And now I'm in a place where it doesn't, make me uncomfortable anymore. So I'm like, all right, what's my like next level of growth? But I think like the biggest lesson of Kenya was pursue discomfort because that's where growth happens. I came back a completely different person. I used to have so much anxiety of like fear of people looking at me and judging me. And it wasn't until I was in Kenya that I was like, people were never looking at me. Now they're looking at me. Um, yeah, it it was incredible. I miss it. I love it there. <laughs> I love I love this whole discussion. I have a daughter who's taking a gap year and her whole goal is to go to Africa. You know, yes, to, we need to talk about that. I can help her. <laughs> we, we should. We're gonna have to connect afterwards because yes. yeah, this is one of the things and she struggled with it because of COVID, you know, travel restrictions and all that. So it's kind of put some of her dreams on hold. But um yeah, we we definitely need to connect afterwards, Rachel, about how to do all of this stuff. So, um, and before we leave this part of your life, I'm also curious, you know, you, you mentioned you played as a volleyballer. Are there lessons from, you know, that sports experience that apply to your business today? Oh yeah. Um, a million. Um, wow. One big one is to visualize your success and to visualize it happening. And so we actually won the junior Olympics my senior year. That was like our big, big goal. I was an all American. I was like one of the top five best players in the country. We played in China. Um, I ended up playing in Italy and it was like, we busted our butts. We were the hardest working team in the country. That's why we won. Um, we were not the most talented. Like I would never consider myself the most athletic, most talented player by any means, but I had one of the strongest work ethics. I was the first person in the gym, the last person to leave. I did extra cardio. I was really strict, like with my diet. Um, 
And one of the things our coach taught us is like, we had quiet time before big matches when we were at qualifiers or, you know, nationals. And we would just be visualizing ourselves, like visualize yourself, get the kill, visualize yourself, getting the ACE, visualize yourself winning. And so I remember I'd be doing cardio and it'd be so hard and I wouldn't want to do it, but I do it anyways. Cause you don't, do the things that you always feel like doing. You, you got to show up. You can't wait for motivation to come to you. You got to take action anyways. And so I'd be doing that cardio. It'd be so hard. And I would just be visualizing myself standing on the podium, then putting the gold medal around my neck because we won. And I saw it over and over and over again in my, in my mind. So when it actually happened in real life, it was one of the wildest experiences because I had rehearsed it and I already saw it. Um, that was one of the biggest ones. Discipline, obviously, like I like the club I played at. It was kind of like boot camp military style of very, very disciplined. Like we're 13, 14 years old. And if our bags were not lined up perfectly without gaps in between the bags, like we'd be doing sprints or, you know, I left my workout binder in the weight room one time and I had to run a hundred flights of stairs after a four hour practice. Well, um, <laughs> yeah. So like, you better believe I never left my, my workout binder again. Um, attention to detail was a big thing. Attention to detail and teamwork. Like how can you rely on your team and not a hundred percent on yourself? There's like so many, but those are some of the ones that come to my head right now. How does that show up in your business today? Let's go with attention to detail and teamwork. How, yeah, how is that present in the business you've built today? Attention to detail of looking at what are the little things that can help us increase conversions? What are the little things that we can do to make a difference for our clients? Um, Like the little details of they sign up, okay, instead of like waiting for onboarding or anything, like we have a solid onboarding process in place to really support them. Um, like sending them little gifts or letters or books or stuff like that. Um, attention to detail that way. Teamwork. I would not have this business if it were not for our team. Um, I do not work that many hours. I, I'm really focused on family first and having a lot of fun and taking care of myself. Um, so I work probably no more than 20 hours a week. Um, and I take Fridays off for fun Friday. <laughs> like my husband and I are getting a couple's massage tomorrow, um, which wouldn't happen if it weren't for the power of team and learning how to delegate effectively. So as you were talking about the, the process of sort of reinventing your business, you mentioned that moment when you had negative $400 in your checking account. And I, I think that probably resonates with at least part of our audience. Maybe they don't have negative checking accounts, but the struggle, you know, and, and showing up and feeling like things aren't moving and, you know, just trying to figure out like, what's the thing that's going to kick this over the hump. And I'm curious if maybe you can just talk about that moment in time, how you felt and what it was that you did in order to, I, I know you started, you know, doing things in your business, but mentally, what was it that helped you get through that? I made a decision that I refused to stay where we are. I remember pushing my son in the stroller and we were going from pawn shop to pawn shop selling stuff to get our bank account out of the negative. And I remember like I was trying to sell jewelry and them turning it down because they're like, this is only worth like 20 bucks. This is costume jewelry and just feeling completely deflated. And then looking at my son and being like, you are not being raised in this kind of environment. Like I refuse. And so a lot of times people might feel 
again, like deflated. And instead of telling myself a story of like, well, this is the best it's going to get, you know, I just kind of looked around and I was like, what can I create out of this? And I saw a program that came out that was teaching social media, which I knew I really needed to grow my business. And it was $450 a month for six months. And that was like a million dollars a month at the time. Like it was so expensive, but I had that feeling in my gut of, I have to do this. And I'm a big believer, like you got to follow that gut feeling. So when I had that feeling, I was like, okay, now how? I didn't tell myself a story of I can't afford it. I kind of looked around and I was like, how can I afford this? How can I make this happen? And so I was like, hmm, I can sell our TV. I can sell our dining room table. Like we don't need a dresser. Like that can go. We sold our Xbox. I sold anything that I could so that I could do that program. And it was that program that completely transformed my business because when you invest, you are invested. I was the best student. I showed up. I did everything they told me to do. And I saw, you know, it went from $20,000 a year to $100,000 a year within two years. And I attribute most of that success to that specific program that I went through. It radically transformed my business. And I think a lot of people, when they're struggling, they just tell themselves a story of like, like a thing that could come, like come a coaching program or something that could help them. They tell themselves a story of, I can't afford it. And that keeps them stuck. And they stay small instead of looking around and asking themselves a question of how can I, because money's everywhere. If you look around, like you can find the money, pretty much everyone that I've learned from, they didn't start off successful. They started off broke. Um, I think about like Tony Robbins and Dean Graciosi and Danny Johnson and Shanda Sumter, all these people that I've learned from, they started off broke, but they figured it out because they asked themselves, how, how can I do this? And then you just figure it out, you know? Let's fast forward to 2012, the year um, when you hit your six figures within two years. You know, when I hear that, I'm like, that sounds great. I I want that. Like a lot of our listeners might want that as well. Can you talk about the ingredients, you know, the combination that really helped you get to that six figure mark? Investing in myself and being incredibly consistent. That's one of my superpowers is the power of consistency. So that program that I learned social media from, she said, you need to post every hour on the hour on Facebook from 9am to 9pm Eastern standard time. So I did like, over and over and over again. And there was not me, you know, missing a day. I remember specifically, like I was in the hospital giving birth to my son and it wasn't a surprise, you know, I'm like 40 weeks pregnant. So I scheduled out my post using Hootsuite or whatever it was at the time. (laughs) And so like, I'm in the hospital giving birth. I still am posting on Facebook because I'm like, so focused on, I gotta be consistent. I gotta be consistent. Um, so that is one of the things that you have, it has to happen. Like you can't just show up when you feel like it every once in a while, you got to show up. And that's like, we do that to this day. Like we just had our 300th podcast episode go out. We have not missed a single episode. I have not missed emailing my list since I started this business. Like every single week, every week I've had an email go out. That's through having a baby. That's through going through a pandemic. That's through moving overseas multiple times. <laughs> um, it's just, you have to make that commitment to show up for your audience. And consistency is one of the big keys there. Yeah, this is something that I'm personally really interested in, not just, you know, your approach to this, but, you know, my own personal discipline. And it seems like when we talk to athletes or former athletes on the podcast, like they seem to have this thing that I don't know if it's built through athletic competition and practice and all of that stuff, but, you know, 
if if you were not an athlete or if you were talking to somebody who doesn't have that background, what advice would you give them in order to build personal discipline so that they can show up consistently and they can do the things that start um, moving their business forward? Yeah, I would say like the discipline of having a routine. So I'm thinking about like the routine of getting ready for practice, the routine of showing up to practice every day and how I have that in my life now. So I think about like I wake up early. I was up at, you know, 515 this morning. I'm typically up between 430 and six. I don't set an alarm, but I just I go to bed early enough. So I get enough sleep and I wake up before the baby and I'm like. I have my routine and I like, I live by my routine. So I'm like in bed early and then I wake up, I read the Bible, I pray, I meditate, I visualize. We go for a walk. We walk for about 40 minutes and it's still dark out. I literally just bought a headlamp so I can look out for <laughs> snakes and armadillos oh and alligators. Um, and we like, I do that because otherwise it's going to be too hot and then I'm not going to want to feel like it. But if I want to, you know, feel my best, perform my best, show up as my best self, that's kind of like the routine and the discipline that needs to happen. Um, yeah, I would say like have a morning routine. If you haven't read the miracle morning or, you know, something like that, do that and have a set morning routine and you don't have to wake up at five if you don't want to, but I would wake up before the children. So you have a little bit of time where you can focus on your mindset. So you show up strong. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, I think that's a great, great advice around, okay, work on the morning routine. You know, that's a great book to read. I wonder if this is more of a mindset shift, even in order to be able to create that routine and stick to the routine and then ultimately have consistency and growth in your business. Uh, is there a mindset shift that we need to experience before we even get to that point or anything that you had to go through in order to really step in and be like, I'm going to do this. This is going to happen. I'm committed. Because I think that's where we struggle. It's like the mindset shift to get to that point. Don't have it be all or nothing. Don't tell yourself you have to be perfect because there are days, I would say I do my morning routine like 90% of the, I always go for a walk. That's like non-negotiable, but like waking up before Gabrielle and getting like my prayer meditation, all that stuff in, I would say it happens 90% of the time. The other percentage, percentage maybe I just needed more sleep. Um, so give yourself grace. Like my goal is to work out six days a week. Does that mean I work out for an hour every time? No. Sometimes it's like, all right, I got 15 minutes to get on the bike. Like I got to make this happen. And it's that consistency instead of having an all or nothing mentality. A good book to support people with that is The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. Um, just get rid of the all or nothing mentality. Give yourself grace and tell yourself, I'm just going to do five minutes. Like I don't have to go for an hour. I'll just do five minutes. And then that's how you start to build a habit and show up day after day after day. It doesn't have to be an hour. It could be five minutes. I love all the book recommendations too, Rachel. Yeah. You're like, you're like I read a, lot. a lot of my favorites. <laughs> so, in fact, my son just came home with uh, compound effect. He's like, have you ever heard of this? I'm like, yes, as a matter of fact, I have, it's a fantastic book. So yeah, um, it's great. Okay. So, uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to shorten our conversation about mindset and discipline and all that stuff, but I am really curious about the Pinterest side of your business and the impact that that's had because like you said you know going from this consistent posting to like millions of visitors to your site like that seems incredible and especially for someone like me who you know sees my my kids playing on pinterest and and i'm saying playing because that's what it feels like to me like it doesn't even in some ways feel like a serious business tool so talk to us about pinterest and what we would need to do in order to make that 
you know, a lead generation tool. So think of it like a visual search engine, kind of like a visual Google. Okay. That's the easiest way to describe it. And so you got to treat it like a search engine. It's not a social media platform. And if you get niched down enough, that's when you have the ability to show up and to dominate long-term. That fitness blog that I created still has thousands of people coming to it every single month. And I haven't touched it in four years. Four, like imagine being able to get traffic and make sales and build your email list four years after you actually did the work. That just blows my mind. Um, one of the biggest things you need to understand is the search engine and you got to niche down. And so some of my most popular blog posts that still generate traffic, um, how to do intermittent fasting for women and endomorph diet tips for women. Like it's so niche, so specific. And that's the thing. Like I start, I was creating content and I was all over the place. I was like, I'm going to help people with everything. And when I looked at my Google analytics, I saw my content that was about intermittent, intermittent fasting and keto was the content that was getting the most traffic. And so I just kind of asked myself, Hmm, what if I niched down and only focused on that? And that's when things took off is when I became known as that go-to expert and people came from Pinterest and they're like, Oh my goodness. She has like a free keto meal plan. She has a, a keto ebook that I can buy. And you know, when I launched my ebook, I actually crashed my website because I had so many people that wanted to buy it. And that's the power of niching down and doing it correctly through Pinterest. Could you break it down for us with another example? Maybe it, it could be an example of a copywriter and how a copywriter could just think through how to use Pinterest and create content for Pinterest. I mean, we could even use Rob Marsh as an example. For his copyright, yeah, Rob, Rob, on, Rob on Pinterest, that would be uh, that'd be awesome, and and I say that kind of tongue in cheek because like like I said, I barely know anything other than my kids play on Pinterest. Okay, so one of the things that you can actually do is to open up Pinterest and just start typing in um, different long tail keywords. So a long tail keyword is like a short phrase that someone might search. And a, a, one keyword would be like weight loss, right, or copywriting. A long tail keyword might be how to do copywriting. So it depends on like what kind of copywriting you're doing or what you, they want to attract. But if I do how to do copywriting, that pops up as a long tail keyword. And so that's an example of something that they could use. So when you upload a pin, you include that long tail keyword in the pin description. Um, and that's one of the ways that you can show up. And so just kind of depends on who they want to attract and get inside the head of that person they want to attract and think, okay, when they're on Pinterest, what are they searching for? And can I show up as that person to solve that problem for them? And obviously this is a visual medium, right? So how do I connect those keywords to images? What should I be thinking about? Is it pictures of me? Is it quotes? What, what should I be doing there? So Good homework for you to do is actually open up Pinterest and start scrolling and see what kind of pins stop your scroll because that's what you want to create. And typically when I have people do this, the things that stop the scroll, it's a big, like it has big, bold text on it. It doesn't necessarily have to have an image. It can. These are things that you can test. Um, you know, Pinterest and marketing in general, you got to test and see what works. It has big, bold text that's easy to read. We call it like a headline. So we test our headlines out as a copywriter. It should be pretty easy to write a compelling headline that wants to stop people's scroll. It has a bold color. So we use red um, strategically. Um, you could use like pink or blue. Just think about like a bold color that'll grab their attention. Um, 
those are the biggest things and it's on brand. So if you go to like our Pinterest account, you'll see we definitely have our pins on brand. So we have our logo on there and we also have a call to action. So, and then you could also test out other things too. Like you could test out video pins. When you use, we use Canva to create our pins, which is so easy. You don't have to be um, like a designer or anything because I am not. Um, they have easy templates that you can use and you could test out animated pins, video pins. And those are fun to create because they stand out a little bit more in the feed. Okay. This is basic, basic question because similar to Rob, this is not a place I hang out often, at least for marketing purposes for our business. So are, are we focusing on lead magnets as I'm looking at all the different pop-ups for copywriting? When I type copywriting in, it looks like these are mostly lead magnets or are we sending people directly to landing pages and selling? Um, do you have tips around like the best way to guide them through a funnel? Yep. So I want you to think about like the psychology of the pinner and what they're going through. And so when they're on Pinterest, they're searching for something that's going to help them solve a problem. They don't know you yet. They're cold traffic. And so I would send them to a blog post where you're adding value. So it could be a how-to post, a tutorial post, a list post, or something like that, where it's solving a problem. And then within that post, you have a call to action for them to get on your email list and go even further. So it could be like a content upgrade or something like that that's going to dive in even deeper to that post that they just read. They're going to be way more likely to actually take action on that as opposed to if you send them from Pinterest directly to a lead magnet or a sales page. And Rachel, as I think about doing this, are there any niches or industries or markets that maybe wouldn't be a good fit for Pinterest? And, and the reason I ask is a lot of the clients that I personally would write for are in the SaaS space. So it's software, technology, that kind of stuff. Uh, Pinterest doesn't feel like it's a place where that person is hanging out, but I could be completely wrong because obviously they may be there looking for other things, you know, recipes for marshmallow pie or, you know, images for something else. Um, so I'm just curious, you know, should some people avoid Pinterest or is it, you know, good for everyone? I've never seen a business that I would say, no, you shouldn't be on Pinterest. Like I've even spoken at real estate conferences, teaching realtors how they can use Pinterest. Um, one of the things too, to remember is that pins show up on Google images. And so even if you think your person isn't on Pinterest, they are like, I've seen my husband, my husband, a man from West Africa that did not grow up with the internet was on Pinterest searching for stuff. <laughs> um, so he's on Pinterest. Everyone is, um, but they're on Google for sure. So I, yeah, I haven't seen a niche or an industry that I would say they shouldn't use Pinterest. So before we, we wrap and move on uh, from Pinterest, what are some other mistakes that we should avoid? Let's just say like, I'm listening. I, I am listening. This does sound like a great opportunity. I want to jump in and test it. What other mistakes should I avoid? Being too broad. So we talked about being niche. Don't be too broad. Um, don't be afraid to add value. So don't be afraid like with your, your content to add value. Like some people are, are, they have that scarcity mindset. If I add too much value, then why would they buy from me? It's when you add value that they're going to think, wow, what else can I learn from this person? Like we've sold 10,000, $20,000 clients that found me on Pinterest. Um, and it's because they learned something and they're thinking, wow, what else can I learn from this person? So that's one of the big ones. And then the other one is going for the sale too soon. So your the whole goal of Pinterest is to use it to build your email list. And then through your email list, you can market your your offer. So don't go for the sale right away. 
And to be clear, this isn't something that, you know, if we're going to take it seriously, that we can dabble in like, you know, a couple of posts now and then taking a month or two off and then a couple of posts is probably not a great strategy. That's not a strategy for anything. You can't dabble and expect to see results in anything that you do. You got to go all in. All right, let's break in here and talk about a few things that stood out. Annie, what stood out to you in this portion of the interview? Yeah, so of course, the first thing that stood out to me was how Rachel talks about living abroad and the uncomfortable situations that you put yourself in. Um, So I've lived in Buenos Aires, Argentina for the past eight years. And I think about this constantly, how like being uncomfortable and being in a country that you didn't grow up in, um, it really forces you to kind of look at things around you differently. And um, yeah, just pursuing discomfort. I was also thinking of, I don't know if she said it on this podcast, but uh, Jerisha Hawk talks about how daily discomfort is the price of success. And that phrase popped into my head when Rachel was talking about pursuing discomfort and that's where growth happens. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that, Annie? Because um, you are someone, we talked about trapeze and how um, you do jump into really uncomfortable situations. Um, what is something you've done recently that felt uncomfortable? Well, really recently, I, I ran a marathon and that was really painful and really uncomfortable. But um, and, and actually, yeah, Rachel talked about like sports and um, how athletics really helps you to kind of lean into that pain or not pain, but pain and discomfort that comes with business. Um, but yeah, running a marathon is a it's a good me- metaphor for just how like discomfort you you have to go through a certain amount of discomfort if you want to like reach your goals and hit your dreams, and it's not always pleasant. Yeah, how where <laughs> where did did you crash during the marathon? I know it's around mile twenty one. It's like it just gets really tough to continue. What was it like for you? I did, and I wasn't planning on it. This is my fourth fourth marathon and I this is my best training cycle ever and I thought I was really gonna follow the the race plan but it's it's really hard not to go out too hard um at the beginning so yeah I went out a little bit too hard um went a little too fast and I I didn't crash at mile 21 but I um it got really really painful and I my partner Victor was biking alongside me and I was just yelling like oh the pain (laughs) (laughs) like out loud to him and he was cheering me on um but I kept but I kept going so I was really I was really proud of that like I didn't I didn't slow down too much wow okay that's impressive I chose the easiest marathon I've only done one um I love running but I I, never knew that it is painful and so I chose the easiest one because I read somewhere that the Chicago marathon is technically like the easiest because it's the flattest and it is such a really a supportive crowd um, so I signed up for that one because if I'm going to do it, I want the easiest. Kira, there's, there's no such thing as an easy marathon. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. That is very true. I definitely crashed too. Um, so Annie, what if someone listening wants to do something uncomfortable and you know maybe moving um, or even travel is not an option right now for them? What advice would you give to them? How do you approach it even as you're looking forward now that the marathon's over? How do you approach uh, finding discomfort uh, in your own life? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're interested in doing a sport or some kind of athletic challenge, 
um, it's a really good way to to pursue discomfort in kind of like a safe way. Like if you have a coach or um, it's like controlled discomfort because, you know, it's it's um, I don't know, it's supposed to happen when you do when you do physical activities. Um, but then another thing I was thinking about is just um, like even if you can't travel, but putting yourself in a situation that you're really unfamiliar with. So like starting a, a class or a, like an activity that's just really outside of your comfort zone. So I like to just just sign up for things like a yoga class or um, I don't know, like anything that's just, or a drawing class or something where you just have no idea how it's supposed to work and how you're supposed to act. What about you, Kira? I, I like that. Well, I was just thinking, I feel like I haven't done anything that uncomfortable recently. Well, you you just had a baby, right? Um, well, yes. So <laughs> physically, I have been uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable the entire last year. So I think that slowed me down a little bit. Um, but now that that's over um, and the baby's here, uh, now I'm I'm looking forward and thinking a little bit more about it. But yeah, when the physical discomfort is so high, it's hard to really think about anything else outside of it. But at this point, I'm thinking about you know, what else could I add to my life um, each week? And so something like taking and learning French, how to speak French would be really cool. So I'm looking into that with my kids and um, maybe after this conversation, I'll sign up for something like that. Yeah. And I think, I think it's worth pointing out that this whole past year, like year and a half has been so uncomfortable and not fun and exhausting. And so it's only now that I'm actually, now that I think about it, that I'm actually thinking about, oh, I should try something new. Like I went to a new a new class yesterday. Um, but for the past year and a half, I was just kind of trying to, trying to like move forward and survive. And I didn't need to look very hard to be uncomfortable. Right. No, that's really true. When you're just trying to manage the day to day, you're not like, oh, how can I challenge myself a little bit more? Um, most, most people have been challenged enough over the last year and continue to be challenged. So I think that's really a good point to make. Um, what else, Annie, stood out to you? When she talks about Pinterest and what I liked about Rachel is that it didn't sound like she went into um, her business with a really clear plan of what was going to happen. She didn't say like, I'm starting this business and I'm going to build all these products and be a Pinterest specialist, but she was in her business and she's, she really focused on like what's working. And then she kind of followed that and got really specific about it too. So I liked, I try to do that in my business, like instead of planning, okay, where I'm going to be a year from now, like looking at what's, what's working right now, like in, in my marketing strategy or in my, yeah, in marketing or in what I'm selling and then kind of following that instead of trying to like plan everything out ahead of time. Yeah, no, I like that. And, you know, what stood out to me about um, a lot of what she shared, whether it was on Pinterest and showing up on Pinterest or showing up on in Facebook was around consistency. And I think that goes back to the discipline that you mentioned around, you know, just having that discipline. What does that look like in your business, Annie? Like where, where are you really consistent and where do you struggle with consistency? Yeah, I think my strength in business is definitely just like showing up, but I actually, I was talking about this yesterday with someone who asked like what I'm excited for moving forward. And my, I feel like my answers are always pretty boring because right now my, my, what I'm excited for is just kind of doing the same things I've been doing um, and like not changing my goals week to week. So 
yeah, my my consistency, my strength with consistency is like being persistent for a really long time towards a goal, even if it doesn't sound exciting. Yeah, and I was I was thinking as she mentioned uh, showing up as a student and being the best student in a program, and I know she was you know a top student in one of her programs. It made me think of you actually, Annie, because I feel like you know I've worked with you in the accelerator and then the think tank, and you're one of those people who just fully dive in and show up and are a star student. That's something I've always struggled with. I feel like I'm always kind of the slacker student. I don't know, <laughs> like time to step it up in the programs I'm in. Um, but how how do you approach it, or does that just come naturally to you, or do you intentionally join? courses and programs and you're like, I'm going to do everything and I'm going to show up and I'm going to just give it a hundred percent. Yeah. I definitely, I've gotten more savvy about knowing which programs to sign up for and which not, but now I'm kind of my rule for myself is I don't want to sign up for a program unless I'm going to go all in and show up to like 95% of the calls and do all the homework because that's where I get the most value out of it. I know, I know some people have, um, like Marie Poulin has this philosophy of she'll do a course until she gets something really valuable out of it. And then she's, she's allowed to just stop. And that's like her, her strategy is clearly working for her. But yeah, I like, I think it's just like who I am. Like I was the A plus, I was the salutatorian of my high school class. And like, I, I just wanted, I wanted to get the, the highest GPA and um, I did every single extra credit assignment. So I can't say it's like a, a business strategy that I've really worked on. It's more just like, I, I can't help but be the kind of the suck up and the the star student. Okay. Well, I love that. It's everyone has their own style. And I love that Marie is just like, you know what? If I got what I need, I'm out. I, I lean more that way too. I've had joined year long programs and on the first, you know, call with the, the coach or the mentor, they may give me such great advice that I just focus on that piece of advice for the entire year. And I'm kind of like, I'm good. I don't really need anything else because you gave me such great advice. And it's actually going to take me probably a year to implement that advice. So I I definitely have received the value that I needed and I'm out. Like I'm good. But yeah, I think it's just figuring out what works, what works best for you. Yeah. And not feeling guilty. I don't know. Sometimes I feel guilty about not doing every single piece of homework from a program. But the the whole point of like, of being a student or joining a program or joining a mastermind is not to like to check off all the boxes. Exactly. Let's get back to the episode and find out how Rachel scaled her business to where it is today. All right, let's shift and talk a little bit about where you are today, what your business looks like today, because I definitely, you know, when you mentioned, I do not work that many hours. And then I think you said 20 hours a week. That that grabs my attention. I, I want that. So can you just talk a little bit about um, the overall picture of your business? Do you have a team today? What does your team look like? And what are some of those offers in your core business? So our team looks like we have Ariana, who is our part-time OBM business manager. Lizzie's our social media manager. Michelle does customer service. Helen is our head coach within Activate. Activate is our group coaching program that we have scaled. Um, So instead of me trading time for money, we have a program that actually has other coaches 
that have are you know former students that are crushing it in their business that are supporting our students. So we have I think four or five coaches within Activate w- that are being led by our head coach Helen. Um, we have a sales team as well, and someone doing our Facebook ads, and someone else doing Pinterest management as well. So that's the team. Oh, and we have um, Julie doing a lot of the tech behind the scenes stuff as well. Um, as far as our offers, digital courses. So Pin With Purpose is our signature program. We have smaller offers that are you know, anywhere from $47 to $97. And then Activate is our flagship program. It's um, around $12,000 for that one. And it's a year long program. And then we also do Pinterest management as well. And how do you coordinate everything? Does everybody just know what they're doing or do you guys, you know, meet every week? Uh, you know, how does, how do you disseminate the ideas that you have for everybody else to be working on? Um, so we meet about every week or every other week and we use Voxer a lot and we have systems. And so Ariana, our OBM, she is a systems person. And so she has helped our team really systematize everything. So we have an SOP for everything in our business. So it is very systematized. So I can just say, hey, team, we're doing this webinar. We're doing it Wednesday. Um, And then kind of the wheels are moving and we already have the entire project broken down into Asana. We notify, you know, our ads manager and then they get to work on that. So I pretty much get to just show up for that webinar and deliver. And that's kind of my goal. I look at what are the things that only I can do? And then how can I lean into that and focus on that? So I don't have to be the person showing up and, you know, editing the podcast. I don't have to be the person responding to emails. I don't have to be the person doing private coaching inside of Activate. How can I scale it so it takes me out of that role? Yeah. And I I love that you've scaled. And I think that's what a lot of copywriters are interested in as well. It's tough though, to go from, you know, let's say where you started solopreneur and then to get to where you are today. I'm just wondering where, where did you struggle the most on that path of letting go and really kind of stepping into the visionary CEO of your business? Where did you struggle? And then how did you work through that struggle? I think in the beginning, um, making that first hire, which was Ariana, because she was expensive. (laughs) I think she was at the time, like $45 an hour. Um, I remember her telling me like, I'll treat, like, I know your business is your baby and I'll treat it like that. Um, So that gave me a lot of confidence and knowing I had the right person. So I think you got to spend time making sure you're hiring the right people and putting them into the right roles. So we've had Ariana, Lizzie, Michelle, Helen, they've been on our team for like almost since the very beginning. Um, so we have great people that we all you know enjoy working together and we know each other and we work together really well. So Ariana even like creates a lot of copy for me because she understands my voice so much. Lizzie creates a lot of my Instagram posts for me because she knows my voice so well. Um, when it comes to like giving up control, one of the things um, I attended Global Leadership Summit And Craig Groeschel, he's um, the pastor of one of the most successful churches, if not the most successful church in America, said that you can either have growth or you can have control, but you can't have both. And that always kind of stuck with me. I'm like, okay, I got to like let go of the control a little bit if I want to see growth. And if someone can do something 80% as good as I can, I can let go of it. Um, and then John Maxwell has been another big piece of, you know, just me learning and growing as a leader of teaching duplication. So like first I do it, you watch, then we do it together. 
then you do it. I watch, then you do it and you teach someone else and just learning like the power of duplication so I can get out of it. And how can I make things really, really clear, documented, create those SOPs so I don't have to be the one doing that thing. You're talking my language here, right? <laughs> or, or, or maybe you're, t- you're telling me all the things that I need to be doing as opposed to uh, things that we do. But um, so uh, I wonder about, you know, baseline systems as you've created these systems in your business. Uh, a lot of a lot of copywriters who are listening maybe don't even have their first system set up. So I'm curious where you would start if you, you know, what are the two or three systems that you absolutely need to have in your business to help it to grow and to be more effective? Well, you got to manage your time. So manage your calendar, Google Calendar, huge. Um, I started off using Trello to like manage myself. But as we grew the team, we moved over to Asana. Um, that way you can tag people in those projects. So that would be a big one as well. Um, communication, we use Voxer for all of that. Um, I try to stay out of email as much as humanly possible because that's just a tool of procrastination. Um, so manage your time. So make sure, you know, you're using Google Calendar, you're using a planner and you know what you should be doing and have that overall vision of what you're trying to accomplish. Um, and then working with your team within Asana. I think those are like, if you have those two things dialed down, you're going to do really good. All right. This is where I'm going to get selfish in the interview. And I'm just, I'm going to ask some questions because I'm curious about the coaches in your program and how you've brought other coaches into your program. You mentioned they were former students. That's something that I know we're interested in doing. Definitely a lot of mindset, you know, issues around that. But how has that worked for you? What are some steps for anyone listening who also wants to start to scale and add other team members to the coaching element? Oh, it has been a game changer because I used to feel like I had to show up every day inside of the Facebook group and to be there. Um, And now that we have, you know, full-time, part-time coaches in the program, it takes a lot of that responsibility off my shoulder so I can take a week off and be with my husband and all the things I want to do. Like you created your business to have freedom, not to create another job for yourself. And so when you're building out your business and your offers, always think like, how can I scale this so I get out of it? Um, So the first person was Helen. And it's funny, I actually created a video that I put on YouTube and I was teaching, um, you know, my audience how to use Trello for their business. And I showed how I like had goals set up for the upcoming year of how I wanted to have activate scale with hired coaches. And Helen literally just sent me a message, Rachel, can I be one of your coaches? Like, I love this program. I want to work with you. And she has been incredible. Like I trust Helen so much. She's been such an integral part of the growth and success of that program. And so me and her work really closely together. She knows me. She knows like my vision of what we're doing together. And she's the one responsible for hiring other coaches and training them inside of the program. And so she's kind of looking at, all right, who has done such a great job and who could we bring on board? So we kind of work together in terms of that. And then she has different checkpoints that she has set up. So when it comes to, you know, like hiring the right person, you want to make sure that they support the way. So like they think differently than you. So like I'm the visionary and then Helen is very, and Ariana, like these, these people on our team are very detail oriented. And so I come with like, we're going to do this. And then they come back with a list of questions. Okay. What about this? What timing? What's this going to look like? Like really specific. And so you want to make sure you're bringing on people that really understand those details and they think differently than you. So they balance you out as well. Um, yeah. Helen has done such a good job of, 
like having different checkpoints. We have um, surveys for our students to see how the coaches are doing. Um, We didn't have all of this at once, you know, when we launched the program. I think if anything is perfect when you launched it, you waited too long to launch it. And so we've had this program for a couple of years now, and it continues to evolve and get better as time goes on. While you're talking about developing programs and courses, I'm curious about your approach. Obviously, you've done it several times. There are people listening who would love to do their own courses, whether it's in copywriting or whether it's something industry specific. Do you have just a few tips for somebody who's thinking about doing a course, where they should start and you know how to maximize their first effort? Do not create the course until you have sold it would be thing number one. I think I see so many entrepreneurs, they spend months creating and perfecting a course and then they launch it to crickets and it's really sad. Um, So what I would do is pre-sell it. That's what I did with like every program that I've created. I've launched it, sold it and created it with my students. That way I know I'm not teaching over their head. Um, That's one of the biggest things. And just listen to your audience. Another good book. (laughs) I'm giving you all the books. Um, Ask Ask by Ryan Levesque. And so the reason I was able to crash my website and sell out that ebook, um, that was like one of my very first offers is because I asked my audience what they wanted, what they needed, um, what they wanted to see inside the program. They helped me design like the cover for it. They helped me edit the book. And so when I launched it, they were ready, they were waiting and it was everything that they wanted to see inside the program. Um, so don't like be sitting at home by yourself, trying to think of what you should create. See if you can work with your audience, do some market research, ask them what they want, deliver it for them, um, and create it with them. Let's go back to your schedule. I'm clearly hooked on your 20-hour week schedule. So yes. <laughs> I, I can't let it go. Um, and I love that you said you you know, you know show up when you need to show up and teach on a webinar. Uh, can you just talk through that? You've talked through your morning routine, but what else do you do during the week? Yeah. So I'm actually, I have my calendar open right now, so we can go through this. Um, so Mondays, I typically don't have a ton on my calendar. Um, usually, it's more of like meeting with our sales team and planning out the week and getting like creative stuff done. So it might be creating content, um, recording podcast episodes, that kind of thing. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is when I batch any podcast interviews, coaching calls, webinars, anything like that. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Fridays are free days. So, you know, tomorrow I'm doing posture therapy and getting a couple's massage. Um, I have repeating things on my calendar. So every morning from nine to 10, I have that blocked off as my workout time. I don't schedule anything typically before 11 a.m. And so Michelle manages my calendar and she knows she can book podcasts and other calls between 11 and 2.30 Eastern time, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's very specific on what fits my schedule. I also have power hours, like time where I can sit down and like what needs to happen. So maybe I'm like batching emails for the next couple of weeks. Maybe I'm working on like an affiliate launch that I'm a part of. I have power hour repeating on my calendar, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday from 10 to 11 Eastern. And so anything that needs to be repeated, I have it repeated. Um, and I just make sure I block up that time. I'm filling up my cup and putting myself first before I schedule anything else. Um, that's pretty much it. And I always make sure I'm working when the kids are at school there. I 
am picking up Gabrielle by three o'clock. So I'm done by three. I don't have anything on my calendar um, after that time. Does that help? Yes. 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 (laughs) Definitely helps. And um, Rachel, you're in Africa now, right? No, we actually came back um, over the summer. My husband has been there the past three months and he's coming back today. He's on the airplane right now and I'm so excited. Um, We moved there the day after Christmas and we came back for the summer with every intention to go back (laughs) to Senegal. And when we came, my son was just like having so much fun in the neighborhood with his friends and all the camps and stuff that they just didn't have in Senegal. So we decided to stay. And then my husband's going back and forth managing the, the businesses that we have over there. Okay, cool. Well, I mean, that kind of leads to my next question, which is, you know, you have, you've lived in France, you've lived in Senegal, now you're, you know, in the States, like, just the the business that you've built has been able to support you to do this anywhere. And again, I think a lot of people sort of like that. Kira and I have both talked about moving overseas at yeah, some do point it. <laughs> in the near future and uh, something that I've done in the past with my family. And so would you have any advice for copywriters who want to be doing the same kind of thing? You know, How do you become location independent? Well, create a business that's generating income where you don't have to trade time for money and you don't have to have your butt in one spot. So think about all right, what can I create? Is it a program? Is it a coaching offer or whatever that is? So I can be anywhere. Um, have that vision of what you want to do. So I actually wrote in my journal, I, I'm a big fan of writing down goals. And I wrote this down in like 2014, maybe that we live in France. And that was before we had connections. We were living in Lake City, Florida at the time. And I just wrote it down like, it would be, wouldn't it be so cool if this happened and get yourself like in that state, like, wouldn't it be crazy cool if this happened? And that's what I wrote down. And then it was like a year later, we were living in France and it was such a cool experience. Um, I miss it so much. Maybe we'll buy a house there, do an Airbnb and we can go over the summers. Um, but create that vision of what do you want your life to look like? I wrote out like, what does my perfect day look like? What does my perfect schedule look like? And I now have my perfect day. Um, like, because I was very intentional in creating my business around what that looks like. A lot of times we get like lost into the business and then it takes over our lives. You gotta be really intentional of what do you want it to look like? What's that vision that you have for your life and then create it. Yeah. I'm working on, our family is working on a a move to France. And Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to you with some questions about that. (laughs) Of course. Uh, So I think, you know, listening to this interview, being a part of this interview, it's, there's so much that you're doing right. I know it wasn't an overnight change in your business. But I'm just curious, like, what do you, what do you struggle with these days in your business? Um, Because it sounds like things are going so well. What is the struggle at the level that you're at right now? Struggle would be, let's see, we hired a sales director that did not work out. um, And I think I kept him on for too long. And, you know, he was overpaid. So that was one of the struggles. Um, and as we brought him on, like managing cash flow, as we had a lot more expenses going out to scale that part of our business, that was a struggle. Um, what else? 
I think I actually hit a point where I was over automating too. And I felt like almost out of touch with my students and out of touch with my audience. And that was specifically last year when Gabrielle was a baby, because I took off the first five months of her life just to be like mom and focus on her. So I think I, you know, I love automation and I love systems, but I think I over automated and over systematized. And I think there's power in actually being like in the trenches with your audience um, every once in a while. Hmm. What else? Those are the big things that I'm thinking about. Like I, of course, always have challenges and struggles, but I think I look at them differently of like, oh, that sucks that that happened. What did I learn from it? What was like, what was the growth in the lesson from it? So like doing a launch or doing a webinar and just the offer didn't land the way I thought it was going to. And just being curious instead of saying like, oh, I failed. I suck. I'm terrible. Like I, we didn't get the results that we wanted. I'm just like curious. I'm like, hi, huh, I wonder why that didn't land. Like what did I do wrong or what could I learn or what could I have changed? So next time we do it, it's better. Um, so I think just the mindset around those struggles is huge of you didn't fail, you know, like you just need to learn and do it differently next time. So Rachel, before we started recording, you mentioned your goal of retiring before you're 40. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another topic that uh, is really interesting. Obviously you've got a very successful business, but uh, that's not the only thing you're relying on to get you to that retirement. Will you talk a little bit about your plan and how you are, you've, basically become an investor in, you know, different businesses, different things that you're doing? Oh, yeah. I love this topic. So basically, we're taking the money that we're making from this business and investing as much as we possibly can. We live pretty cheap. I actually, it was really funny. I created a video when we were um, in Senegal of you know, I, it was a Facebook ad or something. And I had someone comment on that video of like, you think if she was making millions through her blog, she could at least afford nice curtains. Oh my goodness. And I'm like, we live cheap. So we can like, we like think a good book that we wrote was the millionaire next door. And we're like, we are not flashy. We drive a 2007 car that still runs perfectly. And so we make sacrifices to have that vision. So we invest in, you know, the stock market and index funds and different things there, but we're also taking a big part of our money and investing in Africa. So we have two different plots of land that we have purchased. Um, we bought four cars in America that we have shipped over to do car rentals. So we bought cars at auctions in America for pretty cheap ones that have, you know, been in wrecks or had like minor damages and the parts to fix them up and then ship them over to Senegal, got them fixed up and then putting them up for car rental. Um, we are doing rental arbitrage where we're renting an apartment or a house and then re-renting it on Airbnb. Um, and then the land that we bought, my husband is building a chicken coop there. So we're actually planning on being able to sell 75,000 eggs per month with that. <laughs> a lot of eggs. <laughs> a lot of eggs. They, it's crazy because they don't do a lot of agriculture in Senegal. So they import a lot of their foods. And when you go to the supermarket, they're always running out of eggs. Um, so that's, you know, he's also growing like okra and peanuts and mangoes and all, all, all other kinds of stuff. So it's been pretty cool to see, you know, the people we've been able to employ through that. And, um, also when that building is done, it should be finished and we'll have the chickens in there, um, by January to see some more cash flow come in that way. 
When you said chicken coop, I'm thinking like 12 chickens. No, whatever. this is not. No, 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 no. This is not a coop. This is. This it is, is I think, 5,000 chickens, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I love, I love this entrepreneurial um, focus in your business. I guess the question is like, how do you know when an idea is worth pursuing? Because so many of us have all these ideas and clearly you've, you've spotted these opportunities and these problems and you've jumped in to fix them. Um, how do you decide when it's worth pursuing and when it's not worth pursuing? It's funny. I was actually just thinking about this of like, you're never going to always have a home run. And I was actually thinking about the Kardashians. Um, and <laughs> like, have you seen all the different businesses and things that they have tried in the past? And a lot of them did not work out. You know, it's like a, like the Kylie lip kit finally took off and, you know, Kim's makeup line took off, but they did so many other things before that that did not work. And so who knows if the chicken coop might not be like the home run that gets us, you know, to where we want to be, but we're going to try different things and we're not, we're being really wise with our investments. So we're not taking on debt. And we did a lot of research too. So like our original plan was to buy land in Dakar and to create um, an apartment complex and rent it out. And as we're, you know, we talk to a lot of people, like we try to run our lives and our business through the book of Proverbs. There's a lot of wisdom in the book of Proverbs of, you know, got to find wise counsel. So we looked at who's doing this. What does this look like? How much is it going to cost us? And then as we're looking at, okay, to buy 0 0.06 of an acre, like a tiny amount of land is going to cost us over $100,000 in Dakar. And then we're going to have to take out a loan at the bank at 8% interest and be in debt. And like, so we looked at that opportunity and we're like, huh, is like, is that like, yeah, we'll be able to generate cash flow, but how long is it going to take for us to recoup that investment? So we looked at a lot of different things and we've been patient. Um, we've been sitting on a lot of cash for a couple years now, just waiting for the right opportunity. And my husband has done so much research. We've talked, we've talked to a lot of people. Um, we've hired mentors, you know, he found someone that was doing the chicken coop business and, done a lot of research there. So it wasn't like we found this thing, all right, let's go all in and do it. It's we've waited, we've been patient, we've talked to people um, to see what would be the wisest use of the money that we're sitting on right now so we can invest it and then multiply it. My last question, I've been wanting to ask you the entire interview, uh, whitewater rafting down the Nile. Can you just tell me, you know, from, from that experience, maybe what surprised you the most about that whitewater rafting experience down the Nile? Oh man, it was hard. Um, yeah, it bet. was it was a full it was a full two day trip. Um, that I was the leader and I had the most experience. So it was me and um, my boyfriend at the time that were in the front leading the entire thing because we had the most experience, which I did not expect um, to be so sore by day two of you know being at the front of the boat of. Um, I don't think we flipped over once and I'm kind of shocked by that with how crazy some of the rapids were. Um, it was crazy when we got there. It like, so we were camping out in Uganda and we had a tent in like the rain in Uganda during rainy season is insane. So it was like a downpour and um, we we're like taking buckets, trying to get the rain out of the tent and then we're taking, um, they have motorcycles as taxis. So we're taking the motorcycles and in the rain, two of my friends completely wiped out on the motorcycle into the mud. 
I think just like be open to adventure of you never know what's going to happen um, and just embrace, embrace the journey and have fun along the way. That, I love hearing your story from, you know, where you started to where you are now. And I'm curious, where are you going from here? What's next? Ooh, I have a vision of, you know, us retiring by 40, being able to be incredibly generous. We have a nonprofit in Senegal that um, we're really working on, you know, helping kids get educated there. And my husband's huge passion is riding horses. And so being able to purchase an equestrian property so he can have his business there, uh, you know, the nice ones are like a million dollars. And so we're just, again, being wise with our, our money. And I want him to be able to ride and have that freedom. Um, so that will be amazing and such a good feeling. Well, Rachel, I, I still have so many questions I want to ask you. We'll have to bring you back again to continue the conversation, but in the meantime, where can our listeners go if they want to connect with you or learn more about your programs? Yeah. So if you want to learn more about Pinterest, I suggest joining my free Pinterest masterclass. If you just go to freepinterestclass.com, I'll be there and teaching you my five-step strategy to doubling your leads and sales with Pinterest. So freepinterestclass.com. And then if you want to connect with me on the podcast, we have the She's Making an Impact podcast as well. Well, thank you, Rachel, for showing up. I feel really motivated, inspired. So I, I got so much out of this interview. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Okay, so that's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club. Let's wrap up with some takeaways from Rachel. Yeah, so I love that Rachel said you, well, I think it was advice from one of her mentors, but she mentioned you have either growth or control. You can't have both. And that really stood out to me because I, I mean, of course, many of us want to have control, but um, it was just such a, clear way of looking at it, um, especially if you're someone like me who struggles and you want both at all times. Um, and so I, I like the way that she included that in the conversation and it's helping me kind of view it in my own business today. Yeah. I say, like, I say that my goal is growth, but then if you look at what I'm doing, it's, I'm definitely taking actions towards control and, and not towards growth sometimes. So yeah, I need to think about that a lot. Yeah. And maybe that's, uh, it depends on where you are. And like you shared earlier, Annie, maybe it's just like you're in a stage where you're focusing on continuing to do what you know how to do best in building the business, but you're not necessarily focused on growth. It's more about um, maintenance and like strengthening and, um, and finding more opportunities and time in your own life outside of business. So I'm wondering if, if the part where we talked about Rachel working 20 hours a week, because I know that caught my attention in the interview um, and really stood out to me if that resonated with you. Yes, I always, my ears always perk up when I hear people that are growing these amazing businesses and scaling back. Um, my, one of my mentors, um, Nicole Jackson Miller, she talks a lot about how in order, and I still can't quite wrap my head around this, but she talks about how in order to build your business, you actually have like to be a, a CEO a leader, you have to work less. And I definitely see that in, in Rachel's business, like in order to build, she actually has to like create these systems and, and step back. Yeah. How have you done that in your business, Annie? Actually, so lately, um, so my, my September goal was to work 10 to five, because that sounded, that sounded luxurious to me to like, 
not start my work day until 10 and have the whole morning and then end the day at five. Um, because he, here in, in Buenos Aires, we eat dinner at nine. So if I finish work at five, then I have this whole after like four hour afternoon to just, I don't know, do activities or hang out. Um, but I, for some reason, I thought that was really out of reach for me. Like I would, some days I would start work at 7.30 and somehow the whole day would go by and it would be like seven at night and I'd still be on my computer. Um, so, so yeah, in September I started writing down um, the time I started work. So if I started at 10.05, then I had to finish at 5.05 and I couldn't work longer than seven hours. Um, but then if I did, like if I went over that five o'clock deadline, I have I had to write down um, everything that like pushed me over the edge. Um, and usually it was like admin things or sometimes it was it was I had too much writing to do. Um, but it really helped me clarify um, like who I needed to hire, what kind of help I needed to get instead of just like not being aware of what I was actually doing with that extra time. Um, so yeah, I can happily say that I'm I'm now working 10 to 5 and it's really great. Wow, I love that practice of writing down what what pushed you over the edge and um and now you're sticking to it. Does it feel easier at this point just to stick to those hours? Yeah, cuz like you're if you're strict for a little while, your capacity eventually adjusts um and then you stop taking on too much work. Um, and I know like for some people, 10 to five probably doesn't sound like that great, but for me, like I was working, I don't know, some days, 10 hour days. And so starting at 10 and ending at five sounds really wonderful. And it it is, I'm like very, very relaxed and happy. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's a huge part of the conversation and, um, what motivated me after this interview was over, I went into my calendar. It might've even have been that same day. And I just looked at my calendar and I am not someone who plans well um, and looks into the future, uh, but I looked ahead in my calendar and started to batch my time and do basically what Rachel had talked about, you know, and just really focusing on building out chunks of time in my own calendar so I know exactly when I'm going to be doing podcasts or when I'm on calls in the think tank or when I'm actually um doing whatever it is, just sorting through it. And I hadn't really done that before. And so now that I did it, I'm, I'm actually more in control of my own schedule for the first time in a long time. So I have Rachel to thank for that. Um, and because, because I work less hours now, um, because, you know, I have a four month old baby, uh, this is so important. So it's just so critical now where I can't get away with it anymore. I can't get away with winging it with my schedule and just making it work and saying yes to just about anything. So I finally am forced to to plan ahead, to think ahead, to batch. You know, it's only taken me however many years to get here. But uh, thank you, Rachel, for the kick in the butt during this conversation to uh, make me take action. So you say you're a, you're a batching person? Because I know, I feel like a lot of people give batching advice, but I feel like there's some people it just doesn't work for. So it works for me, but, but I know not everyone is a batch person. I think it's just smart. I think it just helps to, you know, like if I can batch two podcast interviews together rather than keeping it separate or any think tank conversations and coaching calls together, it just makes my calendar so much easier for scheduling purposes. So I can send out scheduling links and control it. Um, so I don't know what type of person I am right now, but I know I, I have to be a batching person at this stage in my life. 
Um, so I'm just going to make it work at this stage. Yeah, I'm 100% a batching person. I started batching days like two years ago, and now it's like it's so baked into my schedule that I forget that I do it. But like if you give me if you give me a certain type of task, I just know which day it goes on because it's just organized like that. Yeah, you're you're ten steps ahead of me. That's those are the goals. It's not it's not a race. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so what else stood out to you in this conversation? The overall like picture of her business um, and and just the system. I'm just in love with when she's when Rachel started talking about the systems and how she can just decide that some type of content needs to happen and there's like a whole system that gets set in motion. Um, I got really excited when she was talking about SOPs and it made me want to spend more time on like building SOPs and using them with my team. And where would you recommend uh, anyone listening could start if they're listening to that and, you know, maybe it's someone who's more like me and not as SOP friendly. Um, What are the baby steps? What have you done in your business to work towards that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's, well, I don't know what I did. I don't know if I'd necessarily recommend it because it can be overwhelming, but I listed out like every single thing that I do in my business. So like um, when a when I get a lead, a contact from a lead, like what are the steps that happen and in what order all the way from, from there to like, how do we schedule an email? Um, like I listed out everything and then I did them all in kind of a day, um, which works for me because I like doing things in like focused chunks. But um, if that sounds overwhelming, I would say a really good place to start is to literally lo- like look at your to-do list today. So say you have, um, I don't know, deliver a website copy to this client um, and just write down the steps of how that happens. Um, and it could be like in a Google Doc. A lot of I know a lot of people have SOPs in Google Docs. I have mine in Notion, but you just need like a blank doc. And if you were trying, if you were going to, even if you don't have any team members, um, like just doing it for yourself, for yourself and writing down like in the most granular um, way you can, just every single step that has to happen. So um, like you record a Loom video and then write this email and then um, and then you send the email to the client and then do you follow up? Um, like what are all the little things that happen? So I, yeah, I find it really helpful to do it while, like while I'm actually doing a task or right after I've just done it because it's fresh in my head. Yeah, and if you're listening and, and that feels really overwhelming too, there are people, there are people who can help, right? If this is not how your brain operates, yes. that's also okay. And you can get support with things like SOPs. So you don't have to figure it out alone. Um, so that's, that's, that's what I have done. That is not my area of genius. Uh, and I know this, a lot of the conversation we had with Rachel, you know, I feel like the overall theme was around retiring and stepping back and investing and building wealth and giving back to the community and really stepping back and being able to step back at the age of 40. And that's the age she gave. That's her goal. Uh, I just am curious to know, Annie, for you, if you think about, you know, at your stage, what you're working towards, if there is this goal in the horizon of like, I'm going to retire by this age or anything like that, um, that you've been thinking about. 
Yeah, I'm I'm inspired. Um, so I'm about to turn thirty, so forty's a way a ways off. But I still, I don't know. I can't. I don't see myself working towards like early retirement. Um, but I I did really like what Rachel said about just what do you want your life to look like, and then like creating it and having your business support you anywhere. So I don't know. I I haven't ever really thought about retiring before I'm 30, um, but I, <laughs> but or before I'm 40, I mean, I was like, that's really ambitious. But some people, you. some people try and do that. Um, I haven't thought about retiring before I'm 40, but I definitely, um, think about just creating a lot more space in my business and like, and investing, um, so that I can have more security and yeah, not have this like constant pressure of needing income all the time to kind of live the like a flexible lifestyle so what about you Kara are you gonna retire before you're 40 no I'm looking at I mean I I want to I'm thinking about other jobs I can have when I'm 70 and 80 and 100 I'm like oh what could I do when I'm 80 that would be really fulfilling um but I also I I like looking at it in terms of um how can we leverage our business today to build the future we want, which is what Rachel's saying. And so it's going to look different for all of us. Um, but I really like the way that she's approaching uh, business investments and, um, you know, really feeling entrepreneurial and tapping into that to think about where are other opportunities. And I, I really, I like that she's doing that with her husband and they're both working as a team to find these opportunities and to test and see what's working and what's not working. And I know she mentioned the Kardashians and that, you know, there were a lot of failures before um, some of those businesses took off for the Kardashians that we never heard of, or we weren't mentioned in the press. And so I like that approach of just testing, keeping your eye out, doing your research and thinking about and finding other opportunities out there. And that's how I want to approach the future as well as just looking at where else um, I could build wealth and other opportunities, other revenue streams so that, yeah, I'm not dependent on one revenue stream. And if that shuts down, uh, you know, you're stressed and in trouble. And so that's that's the way I approach it. And I also like thinking about business in terms of how else it can help you achieve other other goals outside of that business. So for me, it's daydreaming about going, you know, maybe going back to school to work on and pursue other interests too. And um, building a business that allows you to have that income to pursue some dreams that do require those resources and are not free. Um, and so this is the luxury we have as business owners today. We have those options available and it's it's really exciting. And I think Rachel's enthusiasm and her excitement is contagious in this interview. Um, it definitely, I felt it in the conversation. And I think that's that's what I look forward to. Same. I'm really glad she talked about building wealth because I feel like it's something we don't talk enough about. Like you hear people talking about income and revenue and recurring income and passive income and all these things. Um, but yeah, definitely not enough people talk about building wealth and like what we do with the income that we're creating with our business. So that was a really good reminder for me to um, to really kind of double down on these other systems for my like my personal wealth. Yes. And Jerisha Hawk, who you already mentioned, who's one of my mentors, it, um, she talks a lot about building wealth and um, and what that looks like for her and her business. 
And so it's worth checking out our interview with Jerisha, which is episode 204 on the podcast. Um, but Jerisha is definitely someone I learn from when thinking about wealth and looking towards the future. Okay. That's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. We'd love to hear from you. If you like what you've heard today, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Need another episode to listen to today? Check out episode 87 with Paul Martinez about losing everything and rebuilding everything from scratch. And you could also check out episode 21, all about starting where you're at today with Joel Klecki. Thanks for co-hosting with me today, Annie. Um, I appreciate you jumping in here and sharing insights from your business and life. If any of our listeners want to connect with you, where, where could they go? Yeah. So the best place to find out what I'm up to is my email list. So it's anniebacher.com slash email. And that is anniebacher, B-A-C-H-E-R. Um, and then other than that, Twitter. I'm on Twitter a lot. Okay. And if you're ready to invest in yourself and your copywriting business and achieve your big, audacious, scary, terrifying goals, visit copywriterthinktank.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better.